Letter thirty seven of Letters from Egypt by Lady Lucy Duff Gordon. Read for LibriVox.org into the public domain. To Sir Alexander Duff Gordon, Luxor, March twenty second, eighteen sixty four. Dearest Alec, I am glad my letters amuse you. Sometimes I think they must breathe the unutterable dullness of Eastern life. Not that it is dull to me, a curious spectator, but how the men with nothing to do can endure it is a wonder. I went yesterday to call on a Turk at Karnak. He is a gentlemanly man, the son of a former mudder, who was murdered, I believe, for his cruelty and extortion. He has one thousand fedans, acres or a little more, of land, and lives in a mud house, larger but no better than any fellas, with two wives and the brother of one of them. He leaves the farm to his fellaheen altogether, I fancy. There was one book, a Turkish one, I could not read the title page, and he did not tell me what it was. In short, there was no means of killing time but the Nargyle, no horse, no gun, nothing, and yet they did not seem bored. The two women are always clamorous for my visits, and very noisy and schoolgirlish, but apparently excellent friends and very good-natured. The gentleman gave me a kufya, thick head-kerchief for the sun, so I took the ladies a bit of silk I happened to have. You never heard anything like his raptures over Maurice's portrait. Mashallah, mashallah, wahali ze ilward. It is the will of God, and by God he is like a rose. But I can't cotton to the Turks. I always feel that they secretly dislike us European women, though they profess huge admiration and pay personal compliments, which an Arab very seldom attempts. I heard Salim Effendi and Omar discussing English ladies one day lately while I was inside the curtain with Salim's slave-girl, and they did not know I heard them. Omar described Janet, and was of the opinion that a man who was married to her could want nothing more. By my soul, she rides like a Bedouin, she shoots with the gun and pistol, and rows the boat, she speaks many languages, works with the needle like an Ifrit, and to see her hands run over the teeth of the music-box— keys of piano amazes the mind, while her singing glads the soul. How, then, should her husband ever desire the coffee-shop? Wallahi, she can always amuse him at home. And as to my lady, the thing is not that she does not know. When I feel my stomach tightened, I go to the divan and say to her, Do you want anything, a pipe or sherbet or so-and-so? And I talk till she lays down her book and talks to me, and I question her and amuse my mind, and by God, if I were a rich man, and could marry one English harem like that, I would stand before her and serve her like a memluk. You see, I am only this lady's servant, and I have not once sat in the coffee-shop because of the sweetness of her tongue. Is it not therefore true that the man who can marry such harem is rich more than with money? Salim seemed disposed to think a little more of looks, though he quite agreed with all Omar's enthusiasm, and asked if Janet were beautiful. Omar answered with decorous vagueness that she was a moon, but declined mentioning her hair, eyes, etc. It is a liberty to describe a woman minutely. I nearly laughed out at hearing Omar relate his manoeuvres to make me amuse his mind. It seems I am in no danger of being discharged for being dull. The weather has set in so hot that I have shifted my quarters out of my fine room to the southwest, into one with only three sides, looking over a lovely green view to the northeast with a huge short of solid veranda, as large as the room itself, on the open side. Thus I live in the open air altogether. The bats and the swallows are quite sociable. I hope the serpents and scorpions will be more reserved. 
El Kamasin, the fifty, has begun, and the wind is enough to mix up heaven and earth, but it is not distressing like the Cape Southeaster, and, though hot, not choking like the Kamsin in Cairo and Alexandria. Mohammed brought me a handful of the new wheat just now. Think of harvest in March and April. These winds are as good for the crops here as a nice steady rain is in England. It is not necessary to water so much when the wind blows strong. As I rode through the green fields along the dyke, a little boy sang as he turned round on the musically creaking sakia, the water-wheel turned by an ox, the one eternal sakia tune. The words are ad libitum, and my little friend chanted, Turn, O sakia, to the right, and turn to the left. Who will take care of me if my father dies? Turn, O sakia, etc., pour water for the figs and the grass and for the watermelons. Turn, O sakia, nothing is so pathetic as that sakia song. I passed the house of the Sheikh el Ababda, who called out to me to take coffee. The moon was splendid, and the scene was lovely. The handsome black-brown Sheikh in dark robes and white turban, Omar in a graceful white gown and red turban, and the wild Ababda, in all manner of dingy white rags, and with every kind of uncouth weapon, spears, matchlocks, etc., in every kind of wild and graceful attitude, with their long black ringlets and bare heads, a few little brown-black children, quite naked and shaped like cupids. And there we sat, and looked so romantic, and talked quite like ladies and gentlemen about the merits of Sakna and Almas, the two great rival women-singers of Cairo. I think the sheikh wished to display his experiences of fashionable life. The cops are now fasting and cross. They fast fifty-five days for Lent, no meat, fish, eggs, or milk, no exception for Sundays, no food till after twelve at noon, and no intercourse with the harem. The only comfort is lots of arak, and what a copt can carry decently is an unknown quantity. One seldom sees them drunk, but they imbibe awful quantities. They offer me wine and arak always, and can't think why I don't drink it. I believe they suspect my Christianity in consequence of my preference for Nile water. As to that, though, they scorn all heretics, i.e., all Christians but themselves and the Abyssinians, more than they do the Muslims, and dislike them more, the procession of the Holy Ghost question divides us all with the gulf of Jehannam. The gardener of this house is a copt, such a nice fellow, and he and Omar chafe one another about religion with the utmost good humor. Indeed, they are seldom touchy with the Muslims. There is a pretty little man called Mikael, a copt, vakil to Monsieur Meunier. I wish I could draw him to show a perfect specimen of the ancient Egyptian race. His blood must be quite unmixed. He came here yesterday to speak to Ali Bey, the mutter of Kenna, who was visiting me. A splendid, handsome Turk he is. So little Mikael crept in to mention his business under my protection, and a few more followed, till Ali Bey got tired of holding a durbar in my divan and went away to his boat. You see, the people think the Karbash is not quite so handy with an English spectator. The other day Mustafa Aga got Ali Bey to do a little job for him, to let the people in Gezira, the island, which is Mustafa's property, work at a canal there instead of at the canal higher up for the Pasha. Very well, but down comes the Nazir, the Mudir's sub, and Korbash is the whole Gezira, not Mustafa, of course, but the poor fellaheen who were doing his corvée instead of the pashas by the mutter's order. I went to the Gezira, and thought that Moses was at work again, and had killed a firstborn in every house by the crying and wailing, when up came two fellows and showed me their bloody feet, which their wives were crying over, like for a death. 
Shorgel el Miser, Things of Egypt, like Cosas de España. Last night I bored Sheikh Yusuf with Antara and Abu Zaid, maintaining the greater valour of Antara, who slew ten thousand for the love of Ibla. You know Antara. Yusuf looks down on such profanities, and replied, What are Antara and Abu Zaid compared to the combats of our Lord Moses with Og and other infidels of might? And what is the love of Antara for Ibla compared to that of our Lord Solomon for Balkis, Queen of Sheba, or their beauty and attractiveness to that of our Lord Joseph? And then he relayed the combat of Said Namusa with Og, and I thought, Hear, O ye Puritans, and give ear, O ye Methodists, and learn how religion and romance are one to those whose manners and ideas are the manners and ideas of the Bible, and how Moses was not at all a crop-eared Puritan, but a gallant warrior. There is the Homeric element in the religion here. The prophet is a hero like Achilles, and like him directed by God, Allah instead of Athena. He fights, prays, teaches, makes love, and is truly a man, not an abstraction, and as to wonderful events, instead of telling one to gulp them down without looking, as children are told with a nasty dose, and as we are told about Genesis, etc., they believe them and delight in them, and tell them to amuse people. Such a piece of deep-disguised skepticism as credo quia impossible would find no favor here. What is impossible to God settles everything. In short, Mohammed has somehow left the stamp of romance on the religion, or else it is in the blood of people, though the Koran is prosy and commonsensical compared to the Old Testament. I used to think the Arabs intensely prosaic till I could understand a little of their language, but now I can trace the genealogy of Don Quixote straight up to some Sheikh el Arab. A fine, handsome woman with a lovely baby came to me the other day. I played with the baby and gave it a cotton handkerchief for its head. The woman came again yesterday to bring me a little milk and some salad as a present, and to tell my fortune with date-stones. I laughed, and so she contented herself with telling Omar about his family, which he believed implicitly. She is a clever woman, evidently, and a great sibyl here. No doubt she has faith in her own predictions. She told Madame Meunier, who is a Levantine, that she would never have a child, and was forbidden the house accordingly, and the prophecy has come true. Superstition is wonderfully infectious here. The fact is that the Arabs are so intensely impressionable, and so cowardly about inspiring any ill-will, that if a man looks askance at them, it is enough to make them ill, and as calamities are not infrequent, there is always some mishap ready to be laid to the charge of somebody's eye. Omar would fain have had me say nothing about the theft of my purse, for fear the Karnak people should hate me and give me the eye. A part of the boasting about property, etc., is politeness, so that one may not be supposed to be envious of one's neighbor's nice things. My Saka, water-carrier, admired my bracelet yesterday, as he was watering the veranda floor, and instantly told me of all the gold necklaces and earrings he had bought for his wife and daughters, that I might not be uneasy and fear his envious eye. He is such a good fellow. For two shillings a month he brings up eight or ten huge skins of water from the river a day, and never begs or complains, always merry and civil. I shall enlarge his bakshish. There are a lot of camels who sleep in the yard under my veranda. They are pretty and smell nice, but they growl and swear at night abominably. I wish I could draw you an Egyptian farmyard, men, women, and cattle, but what no one can draw is the amber light, so brilliant and so soft, not like the Cape Diamond sunshine at all, but equally beautiful, hotter, and less dazzling. 
There is no glare in Egypt like the south of France, and, I suppose, in Italy. Thursday. I went yesterday afternoon to the island again to see the crops, and show Sally my friend farmer Omar's house and Mustafa's village. Of course we had to eat, and did not come home till the moon had long risen. Mustafa's brother, Abdurrahman, walked about with us, such a noble-looking man, tall, spare, dignified and active, grey-bearded and hard-featured, but as lithe and bright-eyed as a boy, scorning any conveyance but his own feet, and quite dry while we ran down. He was like Boaz, the wealthy gentleman peasant. Nothing except the biblical characters give any idea of the rich fella. We sat and drank new milk in a lodge in a garden of cucumbers. The lodge is a neat hut of palm branches, and saw the moon rise over the mountains and light up everything like a softer sun. Here you see all colors as well by moonlight as by day, hence it does not look as brilliant as the Cape Moon, or even as I have seen in Paris, where it throws sharp black shadows and white light. The night here is a tender, subdued, dreamy sort of enchanted-looking day. My Turkish acquaintance from Karnak has just been here. He boasted of his house in Damascus, and invited me to go with him after the harvest here, also of his beautiful wife in Syria, and then begged me not to mention her to his wives here. It is very hot now. What will it be in June? It is now eighty-six degrees in my shady room at noon. It will be hotter at two or three. But the mornings and evenings are delicious. I am shedding my clothes by degrees. Stockings are unbearable. Meanwhile my cough is almost gone, and the pain is quite gone. I feel much stronger, too. The horrible feeling of exhaustion has left me. I suppose I must have salamander blood in my body to be made lively by such heat. Sally is quite well. She does not seem at all the worse at present. Saturday. This will go to-morrow by some travellers. The last winter swallows. We went together yesterday to the tombs of the kings on the opposite bank. The mountains were red-hot, and the sun went down into a menti all on fire. We met Mr. Dumichin, the German, who was living in the temple of Dyer el Bari, translating inscriptions, and went down Belzoni's tomb. Mr. Dumichin translated a great many things for us which were very curious, and I think I was more struck with the beauty of the drawing of the figures than last year. The face of the goddess of the western shore, Amenti, Athor, or Hecate, is ravishing as she welcomes the king to her regions. Death was never painted so lovely. The road is a long and most wild one, truly through the valley of the shadow of death, not an insect nor a bird. Our moonlight ride home was beyond belief beautiful. The Arabs who followed us were immensely amused at hearing me interpret between German and English, and at my speaking Arabic. They asked if I was dragoman of all the languages in the world. One of them had droll theories about Amalika, America, as they pronounce it always. Was the king very powerful that the country was called Al-Malika, the kings? I said, no, all our kings there. You would be a king like the rest. My friend disapproved utterly. If all are kings, then must be taking away every man the other's money. A delightful idea of the kingly vocation. When we landed on the opposite shore, I told little Achmet to go back in the ferry-boat, in which he had brought me over my donkey. A quarter of an hour after I saw him by my side. The guide asked why he had not gone as I told him. Who would take care of the lady? The monkey is Rainy's size. Of course he got tired, and on the way home I told him to jump up behind me and croupe after the fellow fashion. I thought the Arabs would never have done laughing and saying, Wallah and Mashallah. 
Sheikh Yusuf talked about the excavations, and is shocked at the way the mummies are kicked about. One boy told him they were not Muslims as an excuse, and he rebuked him severely, and told him it was haram, accursed, to do so to the children of Adam. He says they have learned it very much of Mariette Bay, but I suspect it was always so with the fellaheen. Today a tremendous wind is blowing, excellent for the corn. At Mustafa's farm they are preparing for the harvest, baking bread and selecting a young bull to be killed for the reapers. It is not hot today, only eighty-four degrees in a cool room. The dust is horrid with this high wind. Everything is gritty, and it obscures the sun. I am desired to eat a raw onion every day during the Kamsin for health and prosperity. This, too, must be a remnant of ancient Egypt. How I do long to see you and the children! Sometimes I feel rather downhearted, but it is no good to say all that, and I am much better and stronger. I stood a long ride and some scrambling quite well last evening. End of letter 37 Read by Sibella Denton. All LibriVox files are in the public domain. For more information, please visit LibriVox.org.